Okay, if you would take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 16. Trust you'll be out tonight. We'll be looking, finishing 2 Peter chapter 3. And uh, things that encourage us to be faithful in these days of apocalyptic days. You know what that means? Yeah, everybody's thinking about the end times and all that sort of stuff, and everybody's worried. Peter wasn't. Peter wasn't worried, and we shouldn't be either. So we'll look at that tonight. Anyway, Luke chapter 16. Beginning at verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which laid at his gate full of sores. But from the rich man's table, world dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass. The beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, and may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. He said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. The title of the message this morning is simply, A Place Called Hell. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege that we have to open your precious word this morning. We thank you, Father, for your word and the instruction that gives us. Thank you that we have the complete, complete revelation of yourself to us in that word and everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Thank you, Father, for the positive instruction, but we thank you, Father, also for the warnings that you give us. And I pray as we look under your word of God today, let's consider this place called hell that you, our lovely Lord Jesus, warned us about. I pray that you'd help us to understand Beware and be wise and help us to realize that eternal life is a choice just as eternal death is a choice as well. So Lord, just encourage us and strengthen us. Speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To a lot of people, this is an antiquated message. It's out of date. I mean, after all. Come on, preacher. 
Nobody leaves in a literal hell anymore. Well, that's true of many. Billy Graham said, I quote, The only thing I will say for sure is that hell means separation from God. We are separated from his light, from his fellowship. That is going to be hell. When it comes to literal fire, I don't preach it because I'm not sure about it. When the scripture uses fire concerning hell, that is possibly, notice it says possibly, an illustration of how terrible it's going to be, not fire, but something worse, a thirst for God that cannot be quenched. U.S. News and World Report, January 31st, 2000, had a lengthy article. They had a, it made front page a picture of, you know, I guess making mockery, really, of what the biblical description of hell is because it looks like they're partying. There's no such thing as partying in hell, I'm telling you. But it had a lengthy article about, and the title of it was, Hell Hath No Fury. And it starts out saying, the pit is prepared, the fire is made ready, the furnace is now hot, ready to receive them. The flames do now rage and glow, the glittering sword is wet and held over them, and the pit has opened her mouth under them. O sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. That was a portion of um, Jonathan Edwards' sermon in the 18th century. And since long before the Puritan preacher Jonathan Edwards stuck fear in the hearts of the 18th century New Englanders, the threat of hell has served as a potent incentive to refrain from evil and cling to faith. For preachers like Edwards and the spiritual heirs, the eternal stakes were frightfully clear. There was a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. Hell and its flaming torments were real. Edwards would scarcely recognize the hell of today. After dec decades of near obscurity, the netherworld has taken on a new image more of a deep funk, that word funk means state of fear, than a pit of fire. While the traditional infernal imagery still attracts a following, modern visions of eternal perdition as particularly unpleasant solitary confinement are beginning to emerge, suggesting that hell may not be so hot after all. Well, you know, a lot of people don't like to talk about hell. I really don't either, but it is in the Bible. R.G. Lee said, quote, some say I hate hell. So do I. But if a man was going to be a preacher of Christianity, he should preach the doctrines of Christianity. I hate to think of anybody going there, but nobody can hate hell out of existence. I hate snakes, but my hatred does not exterminate them. I hate rats, but rats still live. If we're Christians, we hate sham, but sham is here. If we walk as wise people and not as fools, we hate the works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatreds, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, and drunkenness, revelings, and such like are with us. We all should hate lying, but lying is here. We hate dishonesty, but dishonesty is abroad. I hate infidelity, but infidelity is here. I hate liquor, but liquor is here. I hate, if hate were an exterminator, I could get rid of sin by midnight. Disbelief in hell does not put out its fires. Disbelief in poison does not take away with the deadliness of poison. You might believe you could play with nitroglycerin without danger, but the belief will not keep men from picking up your fragments in a basket. Disbelief and unbelief or unbelief do not alter the facts. There is a hell. So I want to consider this morning this place called hell, and I have four points. First of all, 
its place. Its place. As I consider its place, I want to consider two things. Number one, its location, and then secondly, its purpose. So first of all, its location. Verse 22 and 23 says, came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, <coughs> excuse me, there is some speculation by some as to where hell actually is. But I think the Bible gives us instruction as to where this place is. If you go to uh, Numbers chapter 16, Numbers chapter 16, this is really the first mention of such a place in the Bible. And, you know, first mention is significant. It's important because usually it has a bearing on all the rest of the time something like that is mentioned anywhere in the Scriptures. But in Numbers 16, Moses is dealing with Korah and his company. Uh, and uh, Korah and Dathan and Abiram and those who rose up against Moses. And number 16, verse 30, the Bible says this, But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth, and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up in their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. So it says here that, that they went down, the, the earth opened her mouth and they went down into the pit. Deuteronomy 3, 32, uh, 22 says this, for a fire is kindled in mine anger, and shall burn under the lowest hell, and shall consume the earth with her increase. Now, I want you to think about that. That hell is going to consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundation of the mountains. And that really indicates that hell is in the earth. Again. And of course, as we see it down into the pit, I mean it was in the heart of the earth. Uh, Psalm 63.9 says, But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 14, when Satan rose up against the Lord, uh, in Isaiah 9.14 says, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from her th their thrones all the kings of the nations. And then in verse 15, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of, and here's that word again, pit. The word pit is significant because it's used in the New Testament too. Revelation 9, 1 and 2 says this, And the fifth angel sounded, and a star, star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. He came to the earth with a key to the bottomless pit. So, and he opened it. It says he opened it. He opened the bottomless pit, and there rose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. 
So to me it's obvious that, then that from the scriptures here that the location of hell is in the earth. Science tells us that the heart of the earth is hot. It's hot. I think it was in Russia they tried to drill. You know, they began drilling down in the earth. And, and uh, they got to a certain point and there was excessive heat. And they got scared and quit. And of course, in Bible, in, in, in Old Testament times, and of course in our passage, you have, you have uh, the rich man in hell and Abra uh, Lazarus in Abraham's bosoms, and, and, it, and, it, and it describes like they can see each other. And Acts 2, and this is this is some some people will argue about this. In Acts two twenty five, it tells us that Jesus uh, that he would not see corruption, and and you know hell would not. In fact, let's go over there. Acts chapter two, verse twenty, verse twenty five. I want you to see this. Acts chapter two, verse twenty five. Uh, Acts two twenty five says, "For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face." That's Acts two twenty five. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore my heart did rejoice, did my heart rejoice, my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And then again in verse 31, he says, He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Now, when it's talking, so <coughs> in, uh, prior to Jesus rising from the dead, Hell, as we think about hell, the place of suffering was in the center of the earth, so was Abraham's bosom, where the righteous went. And that's where Jesus went. When Jesus died, he went to that part. He uses the word hell here, but he went to Abraham's bosom. And, and Ephesians 4 says that he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. You see, until Jesus ascended to heaven and offered his blood on the mercy seat in heaven, man could not enter into heaven because sin had not been yet been washed away. Sin had only been covered. The blood of bulls and animals can never take away sins. So those Old Testament sacrifices could not take away the sins of the Old Testament saints. Therefore, they could not enter heaven until Jesus went first. And then they went. Also, he emptied that place. But up until this time, that's why in a passage, you have the rich man in hell and Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. And evidently, they could see each other in some way. But we see here the location of hell is in the heart of the earth, in the earth. Secondly, its purpose. What is the purpose of hell? Well, Matthew twenty-five forty-one says, Then shall they, he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, hell was made to be the abode, the eternal home of Lucifer, the devil, or Satan, and those who follow him in his rebellion against God. 
That's, that's the purpose of hell. Revelation 20.10 says, And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire of brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Uh, verse 14, And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is a second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And, and you know, I, I've considered that the term lake of fire, the place lake of fire, and, and the only thing I can, can think about is that the lake of fire is really a more descriptive term. It's really referring to the same kind of place. It's just more descriptive. It, it, it describes it as a place of eternal torment or a lake of fire. So the, the, so hell then, its purpose was to be the eternal abode of Lucifer, the devil or Satan, the same person, and those that follow him in their rebellion against God. So we see its place. Secondly, I want you to notice its people. Its people. First of all, it's for those who consider their life their own and give no consideration to life's purpose. Notice verse 19, the text. Notice verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. This rich man, by the way, this is, this is, this is not a story about rich people going to hell and poor people going to heaven. Although we do know, Jesus told us it's, it's easier for a, a needle or a camel to go through the eye of a needle for the rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Riches seem to pull one's heart away from the truth. But this rich man, this rich man was concerned only about himself. Throughout all his life, all he was concerned about was himself, me, myself, and I. That was his philosophy. It was not until he was in hell he became all of a sudden concerned about his brothers. See, he gave no consideration to that before. He gave no consideration to his creator, to God's will for his life. What was, was he being, as we saw last week, was he being good steward of the things that God had given to him? And he, even in hell, shows his attitude of superiority to Lazarus and his entitlement and station life. Hey, why don't you send Lazarus and dip his finger in water and cool my tongue? Send Lazarus back and tell my brothers. Campbell Morgan said this, quote, Money, possessing a man, is the direst curse, for it hardens his heart and paralyzes his noblest powers. The money of a God-possessed man is a blessing, for it becomes the means of his expressing his sympathy with his fellows, unquote. We see very clearly this man had no sympathy for his fellows. He had no sympathy for Lazarus. You know, Psalm 41.1 says, Blessed is he that considereth the poor, the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. Proverbs 29.7 says, The righteous considereth the poor, but the wicked regardeth not to know it. You know, Matthew 
I'm eternal with it. Matthew 25, uh, 31 talks about uh, <coughs> this very thing. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. Before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a sheep divideth his, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And she, He and He shall set the sheep on the right hand, and but the goats on the left. Then shall the King say unto them on His right hand, Come, ye blessed of My Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me meat; I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer, saying, Lord, when saw thee, we hungered, and fed thee, and thirsty, and gave thee drink. Saw thee, we a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee. When saw we thee sick, and in prison, and came to thee? And the king shall answer, and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of these, the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he all say also unto them on the left hand, Apart from me ye cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was unhungered. And here's the description of the rich man. I was unhungered and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you took me not in. Naked and you clothed me not. Sick and in person and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him saying, Lord, when saw thee unhungered or thirst or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. You see, he gave no consideration. He gave no consideration as to his purpose, the purpose of his life in the sight of God. Second thing we see here is that those who in pride and arrogance make no preparation beyond present life. Verses 22 and 23 says, And it came to pass that the beggar died, was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried, <coughs> excuse me, and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, and me dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, Remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. See, in his pride, in his arrogance, of all the things that he had, he made no provisions or preparations beyond the present. None. You know, if you think back to, to the parable of the steward last week. This is why the Lord of the unjust stewards said he had that the steward had done wisely. The steward had made preparations for when he was put out of his stewardship. But here we have a man who made no preparations when he lived this life. I mean he had he had he was a he was a son of Abraham. As far as he was a child, or he was an Israelite. He had Moses and the prophets, which were read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. And if he had read or listened to the word of God, he would have been constantly reminded that at some point he's going to leave this life. I mean, read Genesis chapter 5. And Adam begot 
Cain and Seth and you know and he Adam lived so many years and then he what died and that's what the whole chapter is about you know Seth begot you know Enos I think it was and he and after he lived in so many years he died and it goes on and on and on they're born they die they born they die they born they die He'd also heard that God is a holy, just, and will judge the wicked. Genesis chapter 6 through 9. See, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If he'd have heard the word of Moses and the prophets which are read in the synagogues every day, he'd have, you know what, I didn't prepare. But in his pride and arrogance, he gave no consideration beyond the present life. Spurgeon said this, and I quote, When God's whole creation has been, having been ransacked by the hand of science, has only testified to the truth of revelation. When the whole history of buried cities and departed nations has but preached out the truth that the Bible was true. When every strip of land in the far off east has been an exposition and a confirmation of the scriptures or prophecy of the scriptures, if men are yet unconvinced, do ye suppose that one dead man rising from the tomb would convince them? Unquote. You know, here was a descendant of Abraham, the father of the faithful. Yet he rejected the faith of Abraham. You know, Romans 4.16 says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. You know, Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 8.56, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. And they said, we be the children of Abraham. And he said, if you're the children of Abraham, why do you go back and kill me? Messing around in their life, unquote. They don't want God telling them what to do. They don't want God being an authority over them. They don't want to answer to God. We just don't want Him. Psalm 53.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They're like Pharaoh. In Exodus 5.2, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? That I should obey His voice so that Israel go. I know not the Lord, neither would I let Israel go. Who's the Lord? Yeah, some of the saddest verses in the Bible, probably in Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24, to the end of the chapter, where it says, Because I have called, and ye refuse. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. 
But ye have said not on my counsel with none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso huggeth unto me shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet from fear of evil. You know, Isaiah 28, 15 says, Because ye have said, We have made a covenant with death, and with hell are we at agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. For we have made lies our refuge. And under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Psalm 9.17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. You see, hell is going to be peopled with people who in their pride and arrogance make no preparation beyond this life. But I want you to notice the third thing, it's perpetuity. Verse 26 says, in our text, Luke 16, Beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed. So they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they come pass to us that would come from thence. Fixed. Place firmly or set fast is what the word fixed means. You see, when the Bible speaks of hell, it speaks of it as an eternal and everlasting place. Matthew 25:41. Then shall he say unto them also on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And again in verse 46, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous unto Life eternal. You know, some will reason and say, well, if it's an eternal fire, we're just going to be all burned up. Let me remind you that the Lord delivered three Hebrew children out of the midst of a fiery furnace untouched. Not even their hair singed. If he can do that, what's so unbelievable about an eternity in a place a fire. <clears throat> Jude, verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Revelation 20.10, the devil and Stephen was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. See, when the Bible speaks about hell, it is a place from which there is no departure. There's no departure. There's no second chance. Hebrews 9 says, and it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. There is no just second chance. There's no departure from it.
But though the Bible speaks of hell as a place of eternal torment from which there's no departure, it is not compulsory that anyone go there. It is. It is a place of choice. It's a place of choice. You are read Isaiah 28, 15 says, but ye have said, we have made an agreement or covenant with death. And with hell are we at agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge. And under falsehood have we hid ourselves. You, you, you know, how many times does it say we have or we are or we did? These were all choices that these people made. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 7. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked, the wicked here, I believe he's talking about the Antichrist, be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, shall destroy the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, for all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Notice this. Because they receive not. That's a choice right there. Received not. They chose not to receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth. So there was, again, a, the choice here to not believe the truth. But their choice was to have pleasure in unrighteousness. See, hell is a place of choice. And it's not God's choice. It's not God's choice. You know, it is God's desire for every human being that's ever walked the face of planet Earth to be saved and go to heaven. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one meter between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, again, for all, to be testified in due time. 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come through penance. See, it's not God's desire that anyone perish. He pleaded with Israel, why will you die, O house of Israel? Yes, hell is a terrible place. 
It is a place of eternal torment. It will be the home of those who don't want God in their life. Who, as we looked at last week, are not stewards of everything that God has given to them. God has given us, made available to us, the gospel. We have to be stewards of that. It's not ours. It's his. We can't save ourselves because it's not of us. It's of him. And we need to receive it. And then realize that it's God that's given us this life. You know, you and I have been made for a purpose. Revelation 4.11 says that everything that was made for him and to glorify him. That's our purpose. But hell will be the place of those who say, I don't want God messing with me. I'm going to do my own thing. And you know, God has given us a free will, which means he will allow you to do your own thing. But it's not a constitutional right without consequences. You know, a lot of people talk about their constitutional rights, but there's always consequences. Sure. If you want to, if you want to bow to football or, or bow your knee in a football game or raise your fist in there, sure, go ahead. But there are consequences. And there are consequences to going your own way and doing your own thing. You will reap what you sow. You'll end up in this place called hell of your own choosing. See, it's up to you. It's up to me. Have you made preparations? Do you have that assurance that when you leave this life, you go and be with the Lord? Are you being a good steward of what God has given you? That demonstrates really whether you have life or not. So have you made preparations? Preparations.